Well, it's so great to be part of the family of God, isn't it? What a blessing it is. Um, Fritz was talking about uh, the, the love that is um, so often evident in the things that we see and the things that we do. We've had uh, a couple of work days uh, the last couple of Saturdays, and folks have given up uh, their Saturday to come out and help take care of some weeds and things. we got uh, Norm Zumwalt's been doing work on the block around the outside of the church. we got Herb out there spraying... Uh, pressure washing, getting ready for paint that's coming uh, for the outside. We also have uh, uh, Lucille and Sharon and Danielle and Doug that have been out working on the sign. I don't know if you guys have seen the sign when you come in on Burley, but there's a white dove with a gray background, and now there's flowers and plants around it. All of those things are just evident of God's love working in our life. When God's love works in our life, when when we have that relationship with God and we're drawing near to the Lord, it just naturally pours out in, you know, doing things. And that's just a small fraction that I can remember of, of the things that folks have been doing, you know, or we have folks that come and, and spray weeds. We got folks that come and help out in the Bread of Life kitchen and, and week after week after week, people who are a part of all these things. And those things are a natural outpouring of the love of God in our life. I think sometimes we sit around and we think, well, when the love of God works in our life, there's going to be this, this huge, you know, event that occurs and, and, and something that's going to happen in my life that's, that's dramatic. And sometimes that's true. But more often than not, God works supernaturally in our lives in a natural sense. And it's just in the, the simple things, really, that we do that God's love is seen. To a community that drives by and says, wow, what's going on over there? What's happening? And so it's a, it's a neat thing to see the help and that love flowing through the body of Christ here. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's look at 2 Corinthians. As we continue to go through, we're going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 7. <clears throat> and as we take a look at, at what the, the Lord has for us tonight, we're going to back up just a little bit. Uh, back in chapter 6, about verse 16, um, where Paul writes this, uh, Where God, the living God, as God has said... I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Therefore, since we have these promises, well, what were the promises? That, that's what we read. Where God promised, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Those are promises for us. Since we have those promises that God says, I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Anything short of that is a lie. And sometimes, you know, our feelings lie to us, right? You ever felt like God forgot you? Like God doesn't know what's going on in your life? Like God's not watching? But God's word tells us the truth. 
Sometimes our feelings lie. We've been, we've been talking about that on Wednesday night as we've been studying through the book of Numbers. And as we take a look at that, we realize that sometimes we think we can't go on. Sometimes we think that life is too hard or that things are, are, are in a place where, where maybe we feel like God hates us or God's not watching out for us. But God's word tells us that's not true. God said, I will be with you. I will be in you. I will walk with you. Whatever path God calls us to walk, he walks with us. He's right there. And what we'll study tonight or today as we go through chapter 7 is we have an opportunity to realize those events that occur in our life will drive us to one of two places. Either a place where we draw closer to the Lord or we will allow bitterness and resentment to push us away from the Lord. It's the only two things that we'll allow to happen. As we take a look at what the word lays for us here, Paul tells us how to begin that journey. If I want to draw closer to the Lord in the struggles that I face, then by faith, I receive God's promise. What's that promise? We read it. I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. And in verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters. I will be a father unto you. And then in chapter 7, he says, since we have these, let us cleanse ourselves. Have you ever been in a place where you wanted to go do something with your kids, but your kids weren't quite ready to go? There have been a few times for Kathy and I that we have a plan. Like when we were in California, I remember when the kids were little, we had this plan. We're going to get the kids and we're taking them to Disneyland in the morning. And we weren't telling them. It was going to be a surprise. That's fun to do when they're still little, you know. So, so Kathy's thinking, I got it. I got it all worked out. Here's how we'll, we'll make this smooth in the morning. I'm going to dress them for Disneyland tonight. So she got them all ready for Disneyland. And she put little baby Cole in his crib. He was still in the crib. He was, he, I don't remember how old Cole. How old was Cole? He was one. So Cole's in his crib, and then we put J.C., who's three then? Oh, I'm doing good. We put J.C., who's three, <clears throat> four. Oh, you're killing me. We put, we put J.C. in his room. Now, there are two rooms adjoined by a closet. There was a closet that went between the rooms. So you open up the closet, and you could sneak in there. Kids loved it. They loved being able to sneak into each other's room. So, and we go to bed. And then... We're, we're in bed and we hear this funny noise coming from Cole's room, like giggling and playing. You know, you dress up the kids like they're going somewhere. They get an idea. Something's happening. And so what had happened is JC had snuck into the room where, where Cole was, climbed into the crib, and they were just hanging out, having a good old time, just laughing and giggling and playing. So Kathy goes in there and turns on the light. And when she turns on the light, there's this little shriek that she does when things, something is amiss. You remember the whole snake story, right? So there's, there's this little shriek that she'll give off. So I hear this little shriek. Ah! And I'm thinking, how bad can it be the kids are playing? Oh, apparently Cole was sick and he threw up. And what they were playing with... <laughs> was whatever Cole had eaten for dinner. 
And the funny thing is, they didn't know it. And JC, when the light came on, all of a sudden he looked at what he had around him. And he was like, Now, I could say, I want to be a father to my sons, but I'm not going to take them to Disneyland like that. I'm going to clean them up first. Right? This is the promise that God gives us right here. He says, I want to be your father. You will be my sons and daughters. But then he says, but first, listen, when we apply these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves. Now, Jackie, I thought you said when, when we come to Jesus Christ, he forgives us of our sins. And as far as the east is from the west, he removes our sins from us. And that's absolutely true. By faith in Christ, we are made clean. But you know, day by day, after we are given our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, as we go through the world, we get dirty again. There's things that happen, things, remember we talked about last week, when you're clean and you rub up against unclean things, you get dirty, right? That's how it works. And that's the dirt that the Lord's talking about. Therefore, let us cleanse ourselves. There's an example of it we read about in the Old Testament. You see, sometimes the sin that creeps into our life after we've been saved and the things that kind of pull us back and hold us down can be uh, seen in the picture of leprosy. You know, it's just dirty. It's just nasty. We wish, we, wish we, could, we could get this stuff off of us. And we have a story about that in 2 Kings chapter 5. And you're welcome to look at it with me. I'm going to give you a paraphrase. It's called a Jackie paraphrase of the story. But you're welcome to follow along in 2 Kings chapter 5. There's this mighty, powerful, famous guy. His name is Naaman. Naaman is, is a pretty famous guy in Syria. He's one of the heroes of that nation. And his king, who, who he, whom he serves, the only problem with Naaman and all the fame that he has and all that he's got going on is he has leprosy. He's got leprosy. Kind of hard to hang out with a guy like that. So Naaman, he, he's bummed about his leprosy. And the king hears from a servant, hey, there's a guy in Israel that can heal him. So the king writes a letter to the king of Israel and says, hey, I'm going to send my servant to you. Heal him. And the king of Israel is like, what, you, what am I supposed to do? Who am I that I can heal this man's leprosy? But Elisha hears about it. And Elisha says to the king of Israel, send him to me. So Naaman comes with all this gold and silver, all this fancy stuff, hoping to buy for himself a healing. And he, and he, and he comes to Elisha. And when he comes to Elisha, Elisha says to him, listen, Naaman, here's what you need to do. You need to go down to the Jordan River, dip Wash yourself seven times, and you will be clean. And Naaman gets mad. I came all the way from Syria, and you're telling me to dip myself in this dirty little creek? Because the Jordan River is not a very big river, folks. It's, it's not wide at all. It's simple to swim across. Some people might even be able to jump across it in some places. Why should I travel all the way to Israel and dip in this silly little water? This doesn't, this doesn't make any sense at all. And he leaves angry. And as he leaves angry and he's stomping his way back to Syria, his servant says to him, Now, Naaman, if, if the man of God had told you to do any number of other things that seemed bigger 
Well, those things you would have been willing to do, but why not go to the Jordan River and see if the Word of God is true? So Naaman on his way back says, fine. So he goes to the Jordan and he dips himself, washes himself once, twice, three times, keeps coming back up with leprosy. The sixth time still has leprosy. What do you think he was thinking when he dipped himself the seventh time? Do you think he, he was thinking, well, you think it would gradually be getting better or something so, so that I would feel encouraged? But no, it's still all there. And then he dips the seventh time, washes himself and comes up clean. And he's blown away. He's absolutely blown away. What did he learn? He learned that... Through obedience to God's word, we can be cleansed. And the psalmist would write in Psalm 119, How can a young man cleanse his ways? You guys remember? What's the scripture say? How can a young man cleanse his ways? By paying heed to your word. Ephesians chapter 5, speaking of marriage, Paul the apostle writes to us and says... As an example of our relationship with God, that we are to be washed in the water of the Word of God. Jesus in John chapter 15, uh, John chapter 15, I think it's verse 3, if you guys want to flip there with me. John 15, verse 3, Jesus said this to his disciples, You are already clean because of the Word of God. That I have spoken to you. John 17 in, in Jesus' high priestly prayer. John 17, 17. Jesus is he's praying for you and I. He says this. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to be cleansed. Cleanse them by your truth. Your word is truth. Truth. So when we look at 2 Corinthians again, chapter 7, he says, Therefore, having these promises that God is with you, that God wants to be a father to you, that you are to be his children, that he's going to walk with you wherever you go, cleanse yourself. What's he asking us to do? Take the water of the word of God, the truth of God's word, and be cleansed by it. How are we cleansed by it? We immerse ourselves in the word of God. That's why every Sunday morning, we're going to go through a chapter through the Word of God. We're going to spend time in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you come on Wednesday night, you know, sometimes if we were only to take a bath once a week, we'd be, we'd be pretty dirty, wouldn't we? Kathy won't even let me come in the house if I don't. So Wednesday, we have an opportunity again, what? To be immersed in the Word of God as we study through the Old Testament Sunday night. We have an opportunity to be immersed in the Word of God as we study through the Old Testament prophets and spend the time together in corporate prayer. All of these are opportunities. Are there more? Sure. We have five different women's studies that are happening throughout the week where you can go and immerse yourself in the Word of God. Every Monday night, we have a men's study. For what? That you can go and immerse yourself in the Word of God. God's Word calls us, listen, cleanse yourself. We do that by pouring the Word of God into our life. That's how we are made clean. That's how Naaman was cleansed of leprosy. That's how you and I will be in a right place. So he says, look, 
let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. When we understand the filthiness of the flesh, that's the thing that we do outwardly that people can see. But what's the filthiness of the spirit? Oh, that's the stuff that people can't. Right? I mean, that's nobody knows the thought that you had or the things that are going on in your mind. You know, as, as we spend time together studying God's Word, nobody sees all those secret things. But the Word of God says that if we'll pour God's Word into our life, if we'll immerse ourselves in the Word of God as often as we can, then we cleanse ourselves. That we, in our human responsibility, take some step in our sanctification that we provide that opportunity well you know jack i try to read the word i try to spend time in the word but it doesn't always make sense great come to us corporately and we'll spend time teaching and talking trying to simplify it for you so you can grow and so that you can be made clean you want to have strength to face the things that you're facing in life you need to be immersed in the Word of God. You want to know the secret to what Jeannie's going through and the strength that she has? You ask her, she'll tell you. She is immersed in the Word of God. If we want to experience that supernatural strength, it's, not, it's no different. It's no different. we got to be immersed. And you have to find the time that works out for you. And you can always... Spend your private time and study God's word. I'm not saying that that doesn't have value, but listen. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is a manner of some, and so much more as you see the day approach. What's the day? The day when Jesus Christ calls us home. So as you see that day coming, as you see that day is on the horizon, we need to gather together. Is that the only way? No, of course not. You can spend time on your own in the Word. That's great. But we need to be cleansed. We need to be cleansed. I like to wear flip-flops. You guys have probably heard that before. I like to wear flip-flops. They're comfortable. What happens when you wear flip-flops, though? Your feet get dirty. So you've got to clean your feet. Now, if my feet get dirty and I'm not ready to take a bath until Saturday, should I just leave them and wait till then? I bet you don't want me to do that. We could try a little experiment and see how y'all like it. I'll come spend time at your house without cleaning my feet. You'll say, no, Jackie, stay home. We need to be cleansed. That's what he's calling us to, to cleanse ourselves. Why? We clean ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now you know that word perfecting in the Greek is the same concept as being made complete. Being made complete in the holiness of God, being made complete by the fear of God. And we've talked about the fear of God before. Some people struggle with that concept. What's the fear of God all about? It's, it's not necessarily, though sometimes it's speaking of that, it's not necessarily just being afraid of God and, oh, I, I don't want to see God and He scares me. The fear of God is living your life in such a way that you don't bring disappointment to your father. You don't disappoint your parents. All of us, as we were growing up, there were things that were easy to deal with. 
Whoopings were easy for me. Dad whooped me. It's over. Boom. Done. Great. I'm out. Getting in trouble again. But when dad would sit down and have one of them talks with me saying, and it would start like this, I'm so disappointed. I remember one time my dad telling me he was disappointed I got caught in a lie at school. It ended up being this big deal. My dad was, was backing me up and I had been lying about what somebody had, uh, what, what had taken place with the teacher at school. And dad went to the nines for me, man. He had that teacher like standing tall in front of the principal and he was doing all these things. And I had to come to my dad and say, dad, I was lying. It's not, it's not quite like I said it. And I remember my dad looking at me and saying, oh, son, I'm so disappointed. Now, we all know what that feels like. It's like, ah. When the Bible talks of the fear of the Lord, that's what it's talking about. A fear of disappointing my father. I don't want to disappoint dad. I don't want to disappoint my father in heaven by the things that I do. That's living in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Saying, I, I don't want to do those things in my life. They're going to cause me to get dirty. They're going to make me filthy. So I have to run to 1 John 1, 9 and confess my sins so that he will be faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I want to choose. Live my life in a way that brings honor and glory to him. Folks, we've all seen people who supposedly were Christians standing before the mainstream media getting ripped open for something dumb that they did that brought, that brought disappointment or dishonor on the name of God. But you know the great news about that? Even though we bring disappointment and dishonor on the name of God, do you know that God is not ashamed to be called by your name, the God of Jacob? He's not ashamed. And he doesn't want us to be ashamed to be known as his kids. And that's what he's calling us to. That we're completed in the holiness of God through the fear of God. When we cleanse ourselves, living our life to bring honor and glory to him. Then Paul goes on in verse 2. Whew, we're cooking. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I don't say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Listen, here's what he's saying. Look, look, I, I'm not trying to, to make anybody feel bad or feel guilty. I didn't come to condemn. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, I haven't come to condemn. Why? Because we're condemned already. Jesus said, I come to save. Uh, Paul's saying, listen, I'm not, I'm not cheating anybody, wronging anybody. I'm not trying to rip nobody off. I didn't come to condemn. Listen, I want you to know that I'm telling you these things because I love you. You're in my heart. I hope I'm in your heart. We're going to live together. We're going to die together. We're going we're gonna to live together like a family. That's what church is all about, right? That's what we're here to be. That's why we say to one another, brother and sister. Not because we share the blood, other than the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed us from all our sins. That blood we each share. And so this is what he's saying. Hey, we're a family. We're a family together. So in verse 4, he goes on. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. 
I love it that Paul says that. First, he lets us know he's filled with the Holy Spirit. You know how we know? Because he says, I have great boldness. I think in Acts chapter 4, it says that the disciples gathered together to pray, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were given great boldness to speak the word of truth to whoever would listen. That's a evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our life. To be bold. He says, listen, I'm bold. I have boldness of speech. I'm, I'm proud of you, like a father boasting over his kids. My, my kids are good kids. All us fathers, we, we want to do those things. We want to boast of our children. And then he says, I'm filled with comfort. Man, I'm, I'm comforted and I'm filled with joy even in the midst of all the tribulation. Even in the midst of all the stuff that we go through, the storm blowing, the winds, whatever's happening in our life, if our life's upside down or our life's upside right. You know we can have joy, right? You realize that joy is a choice. Nowhere does he say, oh, I'm happy, happy, giddy. I'm giggling over my trials. That's not what he's calling us to. He's calling us to joy. What is joy? It's a choice. It's a choice that says, even in my circumstance, I put my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. And I'm going to hold on to the promises that God will dwell with me. That he's walking with me. That he's my father and I'm his son. And I'm going to, I'm going to focus on that and I'm going to experience joy even in the midst of the tribulation that we face. For in verse 5, he says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside was fear. Outside for Paul, he always had these problems with people. Somebody was mad at Paul 24-7. And you know what I love about that verse? is He says, the mighty Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 epistles in the New Testament, he said, inside were fears. You ever been afraid on the inside? Afraid about what you have to do, afraid about what's coming up, afraid about what if I'm not doing this right, what if I'm, what if I'm not teaching right, what if I'm not, what, what, I don't want to get involved in children's ministry, what if I do it wrong? What if, what if something doesn't go right? He says, Paul says, he had those same doubts inside of him. Outside was trouble, inside was fear. But he had comfort. That comfort came from God. That comfort came from God, but look, that comfort came in, a, in, a, in another way as well. Listen, nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast, do you believe that? God who comforts the downcast, who meets us at that low point in our life, when we're struggling in our marriages, or we're struggling in our jobs, or we're struggling in any number of ways, struggling with health, Struggling financially. God who comforts the downcast. What does it require if we're downcast for us to see the comfort of God? The psalmist would say, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where's my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven and earth. It is God that brings that comfort. The secret is to look to Him. We can look to the circumstances. We can look to the illness. We can look to the financial downfall. We can look, for the, look at the struggle at work. But all that is, is looking at the problem. 
And the Bible says to meditate on these things, pure, lovely, and of good reproach. What is pure, lovely, and of good reproach? My Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what is pure and lovely and perfect. And if I want to get through what's going on in my life, I have to fix my eyes on Him. Fix my gaze to Him. God who comforts the downcast. But look at the end of verse 6. How did He comfort Paul? He comforted us by the coming of Titus. Sometimes God brings comfort through a, a, a guy. Someone we're not even expecting. They just come rambling into our life and bring that little bit of joy, that little bit of comfort. Someone sent from God. Now Titus, for Paul, here's the issue for Paul. He had written 1 Corinthians. Remember, that's kind of a, a harsh letter that he had written to the, to the church of Corinth. Then, having not received a response, he wrote what's known as the severe letter. This is a letter where he, we don't have the severe letter. He wrote the severe letter and to, to really try to prompt them into action. He gave it to Titus and sent him. And now he's waiting in Macedonia and he hasn't heard anything. And he doesn't know if the church at Corinth received the letter, if they, if they repent, if they change, if they reject and they're running away. And so he's afraid. He's afraid that the letter was too harsh. He's afraid that, that they're not going to hear his heart in the letter. He's afraid of what's going on. But in the midst of all that fear, Titus comes back. And Titus comes back with a good report. A good report that the people receive that letter. That's why he's able to be comforted by what Titus brings. Look in verse 7. And not only by his coming, which also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Listen, there were three things that took place in the heart of the Corinthians. Remember, Paul saying, cleanse yourself. Here are some issues that were going on in the church. And they needed to be repented of and they needed to be changed. And they had to be received with a right heart so that bitterness wouldn't take hold. And so listen to what they did. First, they had an earnest desire. An earnest desire. What was that? It was a desire to do what was right. To do what was well-pleasing to the Lord. They really wanted to obey God. They really wanted to obey what God's Word said. And then they are mourned. The, the Greek word for this word mourning is this, is this deep-seated sorrow over the sin that had been in their life. The sin that had gone on. They were not just sorry that they got caught they were deeply sorrowful and that deep sorrow was something that led them through that earnest desire to do what's right what god's calling them to it's what brought about the change in their life and as a result of the change they loved the brethren they had zeal for paul zeal means to burn to burn they, they were on fire for him. They cared about him. They were passionate for him. Why? Because the love of God constrains us, compels us. It drives us. But when we're not feeling that love of God in our life, perhaps, like with them, there was a sin. And the Lord is laying out, hey, you need to cleanse yourself. And when they were faced with that sin, they had an earnest desire to do what was right. They were deeply sorrowful for what had been wrong in their life. And as a result, the love of God begins to flow through them again. And they have this, this deep love for Paul. 
And Paul, recognizing it, says, look, God worked it all out. All the things I was worried about, all the things I didn't think were going to happen or weren't going to work. Have you ever been like that? You ever looked at the circumstances in your life and said, there's no way this is all going to work. This is just the beginning of the whole thing burning up. Life is just falling apart everywhere I look. That's what Paul said he felt that way. He had fear inside. But then God comforted him and showed him that all those things that he had gone through, all the tribulation, was for a deeper purpose. And lives were changed and people grew. And that's what's going on. Lives were changed and people grew. They grew in their love of Paul. Listen, in verse 8, he kind of describes it to us. He says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. He said, listen, I wrote it, and I, I kind of felt bad after I wrote it. I, I didn't really know how it was going to be received, but I don't regret it now. I don't regret what happened, what happened now. You see, God led Paul to write that letter. And even though as he wrote that letter, he was afraid, and he was filled with fear, and he didn't know how things were going to turn out, he trusted God. And God brought it around full circle. Now, sometimes God brings that around full circle real quick. Sometimes it comes around full circle real slow. But it's always going to come around. And it's all about learning to trust God. Lord, I trust you. I'm going to trust you in this. So Paul trusts them. And he's saying to them, listen, I felt a little bad when I wrote it. I was a little bit worried about what I wrote, but listen in verse 9. Now I rejoice, not because I made you sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. He says, look, for godly sorrow produces repentance. He's going to tell us the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to a change of action. Repentance literally means to turn around and go the opposite way. So godly sorrow, remember that deep mourning that they had? It led them to make changes in their life. To say, no, I'm, I'm not the same person I was before. I'm not. And so they changed. That's what repentance is all about. The worldly sorrow, on the other hand, leads to Bitterness and resentment. And we all know people who, through a series of events, have allowed those events, that storm, the wind that's blowing, whatever the case may be, to drive them to resentment and bitterness. And that is not godly sorrow. That's, I'm sorry I got caught. World's full of people who are sorry they got caught, right? We could all go to prison and find someone. We can find someone. I had a, a, a unique opportunity, and I actually enjoy it when I have the opportunity to go teach in jail and have an opportunity to go through a Bible study with the guys and, and get to know them a little bit. And, and getting to know them, I, I met guys who really love the Lord and come to know the Lord through the events in their life and they're drawn close to Him even though they're in difficult circumstances. And I also came to know guys who found Jailhouse Jesus. 
And right after they get out, they're going to leave jailhouse Jesus right there in the jail, and they'll find him again when they come back. But they're going to go right back out. One of them is godly sorrow, the other is worldly. Worldly sorrow leads to bitterness and resentment. Somebody else did this to me. It's somebody else's fault. It's blah, 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 all that stuff. Godly sorrow says, I'm taking responsibility for where I am, and I'm going to allow God to work in my life where I am, and God's going to change me, and I'm going to be different. Listen, when we come to Jesus Christ, we put our faith and trust in Him, immediately we're made clean. This is not, I'm not talking about getting saved. I'm talking about after we've been saved, cleansing ourselves. And after we've been saved, we need to repent. There's got to be something different about our life. If there's nothing different about your life from the moment you got saved to today, you might want to take stock in what's really going on. Because godly sorrow leads to repentance. And repentance is a change of direction. Doesn't mean I don't fail. Doesn't mean I don't fall sometimes. Doesn't mean I don't still struggle. It does mean that my attitude is to turn my back on that sin and go the other way. Now you and I both know sin pulls hard sometimes. And every once in a while we may turn back. We may fall. We may stumble. But the Bible says that what are we to do? Confess our sins. Repent. Turn our back on it. And begin our walk with the Lord again. Godly sorrow will always lead to repentance, but worldly sorrow will lead to resentment and bitterness. And if you want to know which one's working in your life, take a look, take stock. Are you bitter? Are you resentful? Or are you repentant? Because remember, when the church of Corinth made those, cha- those changes, godly sorrow came in their life. They turned, they repent, they move forward with the Lord. As they did those things, what happened in their life? They had an earnest desire to do the things that God was calling them to do. They had a deep mourning for the failure that they had had and a, and a love for God's people. So if godly sorrow is working in my life, I'm going to have an earnest desire to do the things that God's word lays out for me to do. I'm going to be deeply sorrowful for the times when I fail, but I'm also going to be filled with the love of God for God's people. That's what we see in the scripture. That's what godly sorrow produces. That's what we want to see pouring out of our life. Because the world's sorrow, guys, leads to death. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. It just, it's just banging your head against the same stone wall over and over again. It's no fun. Banging your head against the same stone wall over and over again. God wants us to experience godly sorrow. Look at verse 11. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. So what came? What diligence it produced in you. What's diligence? That's that earnest desire to do what's right. It produced diligence. Diligence gets a job done. It sees a job to completion. It's going to keep going until it's finished. That's diligence. And so here he says, this is what godly sorrow will produce. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourself. That's that eagerness to cleanse yourself. Eagerness to go and immerse yourself in the Word of God. Take a shower. But take a shower in the water of the Word of God. 
Getting together with other brothers, other sisters, pouring over the Word of God, whether it's, it's corporately here at a home study fellowship, whatever the case, that as often as you can, you're allowing God's Word to make you clean, God's Word to work in your life. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. Indignation, that's that righteous anger towards sin. That you despise what is evil. What's the other side of that? You cling to what is good. You despise what is evil. You don't make compromise with it. You don't figure out how you can get that evil thing into your house and work it all out. You turn from the evil and you cling to what is good. What indignation, he says. This is the godly sorrow in their life. It brought this this attitude of, I don't like what's bad. I don't like the evil. I don't like to turn on the news and look at all the junk in this world. It bugs me. Vexes my soul to hear people say the things they say or or to do the things that they do. And I'm thinking, oh, how did we get to this place? That should be our attitude, an attitude of of anger towards sin. Not that I hate the people, but I hate the work that sin does in people's lives. It robs people. Day in, day out, it robs people of life. Indignation, this anger, that. And then what fear? We talked about that. What fear has it worked in your life? The fear of God. That, That attitude that says, I don't want to disappoint my father. I don't want to disappoint. I don't want to stand before Jesus and hear him say, I never thought you were going to make it, Jackie. I want to hear him say, well done. Nobody wants to run a race and hear say, man, you didn't do very well. They want to run a race and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. We want to have that attitude. We don't want to disappoint the Lord. Then he goes on. What vehement desire. What a vehement desire. What's that? The desire that wants purity and not sin. A desire that says, I need to be cleansing myself. A desire that says, I need to stay away from those weights. Everybody's always worried about whether something's sin or not. Forget about that. Stop worrying about whether or not it's sin. Worry about whether or not it's a weight. What, what do I mean? Worry about whether or not you're trying to run your race for God by putting 45-pound plates on your back. Instead of worrying about whether or not something's a sin, worry about whether or not it is slowing you down in your race with God. If it is, godly sorrow will lead to a vehement desire that desires pure and lovely, that desires to be conformed not to the image of this world, but transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That vehement desire that says, hey, I want to step away from what was here and I want to move on. And then the next thing is what zeal? What what zeal? Remember what I told you zeal is? Zeal is burning. Are you on fire for Jesus Christ? Because godly sorrow and repentance leads to being on fire for Jesus Christ. Listen. As we look at what God's Word says here, we as a body been praying that God would move through us with revival. How does revival start? It starts with repentance and godly sorrow. And the next thing you know, God's people are on fire. 
God's people are, are reaching out to people in the love of Jesus Christ, reaching them with the power to transform their life, not from this world, but to otherworldly life, a life created in Christ Jesus that's, that's holy and right and beautiful. Didn't Jesus say, I've come to give you life more abundantly? If we're not experiencing abundant life, we need to abide in Christ, not in this world. For in him, we have abundant life. We want that zeal of the Lord, that zeal that burns within us. And then ultimately, what vindication in all things you prove yourself to be clear in this matter. What's vindication? You're made righteousness. Remember, when we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, I think it says, that He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become vindicated. His righteousness. That we are standing in a just place before God. Godly sorrow and repentance helps us to experience these things instead of just reading them on a page and saying, I wonder what it's like to have a life like that. Godly sorrow will lead us to that. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong or, or for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Listen, I want you to know that I love you and that's what I wrote to you about. And sometimes hearing God's word is not always the popular thing to hear. You see, in the Old Testament, there's a story about these fellows. One guy's name is Jehoshaphat. I bet you didn't know that that was really a person. Jumping Jehoshaphat? I don't know if he ever jumps. But there was a guy named Jehoshaphat and a fellow named Ahab. Ahab and Jehoshaphat are going to go to battle. And so Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, Ahab, well, what did the prophets of God say? And Ahab says, I have these 400 prophets. And they all say, we're going to whoop them. And Jehoshaphat says, you know, I just, something doesn't feel right. Is there another prophet in the land? Yes, there's this guy named Micaiah. He never says nothing good. I don't want to talk to him. Jehoshaphat says, go call Micaiah. Let's hear what he has to say. Micaiah comes and he says, okay, uh, you're going to have a great victory. Everything's going to be fine. And Ahab goes, oh, come on. And Micaiah says, okay, I'll tell you the truth. You're going to get slaughtered. The word of God, God is not going with you. God is calling you to repentance. Micaiah told the truth. You can line up for yourself 400 prophets to tell you the feel-good message. Or you can listen to the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word is calling us to repentance. Calling us to cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of this world that gets all over us. It doesn't mean we're supposed to walk around like some nose-in-the-sky, holier-than-thou, bad attitude. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about saying, hey, be cleansed. Pour the water of the word of God in your life. Don't be counted among them. Be counted as mine. My question to you this morning is, are your colors clear? Do people know who you are when they see you? Do they know who your father is? Do they know what you stand for? Our colors ought to be clear. When people see us, They ought to know what that means. All around the world, in at least the not too far distant past, 
When the stars and stripes were flown, people knew what that stood for. What the colors were all about. When people see you flying your colors, do they see what you're all about? Are you a top secret Christian or are you out there on the front line saying, God's my father. He walks with me. He dwells in me. He is with me. And as a result of that, I want my colors to carry about that concept that I'm one of God's kids. I want people to see that. I want them to know that. If that's not clear, then God says, cleanse yourself. Come out from among them. Be separated unto God. Be clear about who you are and what you're about. And allow that godly sorrow to work that work of repentance in our life. And receive the true word of God, what God's word says, and apply it. Don't line up for you a bunch of people who will tell you everything you're doing is okay. There's nobody in here where everything we're doing is okay. It's not. God calls us to cleanse ourselves, to walk and be clean. Therefore, in verse 13, he says, We have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. See, when people turn and repent, other people's spirits are ignited. Have you ever been near someone who's on fire for the Lord and caught fire yourself? There was a time in my life where, where my Christianity my, was more religion. It was just this thing I did. And we moved into this neighborhood, and in this neighborhood was this guy who, of all places, was drunk one night in a bar and got saved in the bar while he was drunk. And he come out of that place, I don't even know, that shouldn't work, but... Hey, it worked. This dude was on fire for Jesus. All he wanted was to know more, to pour the word of God in his life. And he kept coming to me and asking me questions, asking me questions, asking me questions. Some of them I had to answer for. Some of them I didn't. And the next thing I know, he says, you know, there's this place up on the hill. They got a Bible college. Let's go. That's how I went to Bible college. Because some guy got on fire for the Lord. And as he was burning, he stood too close to me. And I caught on fire. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to leave this place repenting and and being ignited little burning bushes for Jesus? Not consumed because the fire is the fire of God. It doesn't consume what it burns on. It just lights everything up. And then you just stand near somebody and they catch on fire. And they catch on fire and they catch on fire. Pretty soon, the whole community is burning bright for Jesus Christ. And it all starts with that phrase, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself. Allow the comfort of God to comfort those who are around you. For if anything I have boasted to, you, to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you because he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Remember the first letter to the Corinthians? Man, it was kind of harsh. But here in this second letter, Paul is like, man, you guys are right there in it. You've repented. You're moving forward. People are catching fire around you. And the, and the love of Jesus Christ is going to change those people. And I'm so excited because that's what I want to see with us. 
that we cleanse ourselves, we turn to the Lord with godly sorrow, that we experience that diligence, that earnest desire, that deep mourning, all those things working in our life to draw us near to the Lord so that our relationship to Him is real, not just some kind of imagined thing. It's just something that's, that's smoking. And as it's, as it's burning bright, all we have to do is be around people. And the Spirit of God will catch them on fire too. And our world changes like that. One person, one life at a time. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you. We thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. And Father, may we not be those people that, that would want to line up a bunch of people that will just say what we want to hear. But may we really receive your word, the word of truth. And may we allow that word of truth to sanctify us, to make us clean. And God, if we're struggling, if we're having a hard time, then, then help us find ways to plug in to have the word of God in our life every single day. We don't have to go one moment without that, without the Word. We don't have to. We may not be able to get around or go someplace necessarily, but we can certainly plug in the Word of God into what we're listening to or plug in the Word of God into what we're doing. Father, we just want to be able to stand before you as your sons and daughters, not covered with the junk of this world, all excited about what the next day brings, but rather, Lord, clean ready to be used. Our colors are clear. People look at us and say, that's a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what we want, Lord. So by your spirit in this place, just pour out your spirit upon us and and do that work within us. Father, if it's got to come from a harsh word, then so be it. Let it come. If it's going to come through just your word, Lord God, let it come. Let it drive us to godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that we would change the weights and the snares and the things in our life that are holding us back. Because if we really want our community touched with the love of Jesus Christ, it starts with us. We have to be real. We have to be clear. We have to be cleansed. So God, do your work. Do that work within us, Father, as we come to you with open hearts, even as Paul declared, come to me with open hearts. And let me pour the water of the word of God in and watch what happens. Father, may we come to you with open hearts. Open hearts, Father God, just asking for more of you, more of your spirit, more of who you are, more of what you want to do in our life. That we would realize that the true excitement in life comes in living a life fulfilling our purpose. Father, bring us to that place. Fulfill us. Lead us. Lead us to you, Lord God, Drop us to our knees. Bring us to the place where you want to work your perfect work in us. Oh, Lord God, we love you. So move among your people. Father, we lift up this this morning to you, God, and we ask, Lord Jesus, that we would leave not the same. 
I don't want to be found in the same place that I came. I want to be found in a new place, in a right place, in a clean place. I want to be found right. I want to be found doing what you're calling me to do. I want to be found fulfilling my purpose. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that you love us. And because you love us, you bring us the word. The word calling us to repentance. May we answer that call. Lord God, we lift up this day to you and pray that you would be glorified in us. And that our colors may be clear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and close in a song of worship. We want to invite the prayer counselors to go ahead and spread themselves around the room. And as we close, listen, if, if the Holy Spirit spoken to you this morning and you want to come in an attitude of repentance, we invite you to come up with one of the prayer counselors and pray and get that fresh start that God wants to work in your life. Don't forget, this evening we got ministry through mystery. We want to invite everyone to come and enjoy uh, the illusionist tonight. God bless you and go in peace.